This program is produced by CuriosityStream.com, the world's first ad-free, video-on-demand resource for documentary programs that educate, inspire, and entertain. Visit CuriosityStream.com. The following interview with investigative journalist Carl Bernstein about the 1972 Watergate scandal was recorded in front of a live audience during the 2014 Curiosity Retreat at Gateway Canyons Resort and Spa in southwest Colorado. Bernstein wrote a series of articles about the infamous Watergate break-in with fellow Washington Post reporter Bob Woodward, which eventually led to the historic impeachment of U.S. President Richard Nixon. He also chronicled the events with Woodward in the 1974 bestseller, All the President's Men, which became a major motion picture starring Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman. Our interview and audience Q&A is hosted by John Hendricks, the founder and chairman of CuriosityStream.com and former chairman of Discovery Communications, following a screening of the 2013 Discovery Channel documentary, All the President's Men Revisited. All right, welcome to our big living room tonight. And what we're going to do is take you back in time for just a little bit. We're going to go back to the early 1970s when one of the great historical dramas of the 21st century started to play itself out. But this is so wonderful to have Carl here. We were at the premiere of this film in Washington last year. And um, it got incredible reviews. And, but I've, off, I've had one question, I've, and I'm going to ask one question and then turn it over to all of you. But, Carl, was there one point when you're in the investigation, did there come a moment that you knew where this could lead? The break-in was on June the 17th, 1972, and we had found, uh, by knocking on a lot of doors at night, that there was this secret fund, and uh, there were hundreds of thousands of dollars in it. And... You know, Watergate didn't make much sense. This one burglary. It, why would they do this? What was this all about? Um, why would anybody in a position of responsibility have something to do with this? And we found this secret fund existed. And not only did it exist, but it was controlled by five people, including not just Bob Haldeman, but the attorney general, former attorney general of the United States, John N. Mitchell, who had been Richard Nixon's law partner, who was really family. Uh, And he was also the campaign manager for Nixon's re-election campaign, the highest law enforcement officer in the land. It controlled this secret fund that paid for this illegal bugging. And we found this out within nine weeks of uh, the break-in. And by then we had... uh, established a routine, Bob and I, we would meet each morning in a little vending machine room uh, off the newsroom floor and kind of get our ducks in a row. Uh, There's a reference in the film there to good cop, bad cop. You can imagine who was the good cop and who was the bad cop. (laughs) And uh, this was to rehearse what we would tell the editors we had for the day and how, how it needed to be on page one. And so now we were going to present to the editors this story that Mitchell controlled this fund. And I put a dime in the coffee machine behind me, which is what coffee cost in those days. And I literally, the only time in my life I ever literally felt a chill go down my neck. And it did. And I turned to Woodward and I said, oh, my God, this president is going to be impeached. And Woodward looked at me and he said, 
oh my God, you're right. And we can never use that word impeach in this newsroom ever, lest the editors or anyone here think we have an agenda, because we don't. And we never use that word. But it was a very long time before the whole idea of impeachment became. But something that day, once it was Mitchell, that was it. And I said, and we both said, yeah, he's going to be impeached. Unbelievable. All right, let me turn to the audience. So now's your chance. Yes, Tom. Many questions. I have so many questions. Uh, when Nixon later ad- admitted, I think, to David Frost that he should have burned the tapes, um, did you did you ever think that he would have, or that uh, because with obviously without the tapes, they would never have been able to prove it. There wouldn't. There probably would not have been an impeachment. The reason that Nixon taped himself was that he wanted to write the best memoir in history of any president of the United States and have a perfect record of his presidency from beginning to end uh, in which he could draw this incredible inside definitive account of almost every moment of his presidency. That's why the tapes existed. And he never thought, once you saw what happened with Butterfield there, uh, and I'll add another thing that I think is in all the president's men, uh, but we were, you know, we kept our distance from the Watergate committee to some, but to some extent we, you know, they could ask us things, uh, and if we thought it might advance the story, we would say, you might think of asking this or, or that. Uh, we would never, ever tell them any sources, and they ask us. And uh, right not long before what you saw there, they asked us if uh, somebody there asked us, is there, is there anybody you can think of that, that you know, ought to come up here? And we said, well, there's this one guy we could never get, get to named Butterfield. And, uh, and that's, that's what happened. And um, because we didn't, he, he was right outside the Oval Office, and we figured he'd heard a lot of stuff. And if they got him up there, maybe he'd tell them something. And, of course... But we didn't know that. And uh, so he had this taping system, and he believed he would never have to give up those tapes. Pat Buchanan, one of the chief political aides, advised him to burn them. Nixon said no. He was never going to give them up. Why? Because he thought the Supreme Court ultimately, with Chief Justice uh, Warren Burger, whom he had appointed to the court, would organize the court uh, against forcing him to give them up. Well, he was wrong, because what Berger did, somewhat reluctantly, but he did it, uh, is that he got the justices together and said, you know, we have to have a unanimous decision in this case, because nobody is above the law in this country, including the President of the United States. And so the Supreme Court, by a unanimous decision, ordered the President of the United States to give up those tapes. Other questions? So uh, first, um, thank you for all your shoddy journalism because it was really, really, really useful. Um, But um, if you think in today's environment, because there's all this conversation about, you know, could Watergate ever happen again or could you ever have that? Do you see in the way media works today, which is very different than, than 
God help me, almost 50 years ago. Um, Don't make it worse than it is. It's 40, <laughs> 40 it's years ago. 40 okay. this week from that hearing you were watching. Uh, okay. So when you, when you think about how journalism works today and, and social media works today, how do you think it might play out today versus how it played out back then? I don't think if history works uh, so I don't have a crystal ball, and, and I don't know how it would play out today. I, I do believe the following, that um, we live in a different culture today, a different media culture, a different political culture, a different country today. And at the time that we're seeing up here uh, on that screen, uh, there are plenty of great reporters today who I think could do the work that we did that some other great reporters, Cy Hirsch for the New York Times during Watergate did. I think the reporting could be done. Um, and I think there are some great journalistic institutions, primarily the old ones, uh, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, uh, maybe one of the networks that would go with the story. But the difference in the culture is that the people of the United States by and large, you know, wanted Nixon to go by the time he resigned. Why? Because they were open to the best obtainable version of the truth, which really is what good reporting is. Really open to it, I think, most people in this country. They, they wanted to know what happened. And I think the difference today is that not nearly, it's not measurable, but not nearly as many people in this country today and in the polarized, ideological, scorched earth, uh, not just political culture, but way beyond that, ideological, religious, all kinds of factors, I think there's a much, much smaller portion of our citizenry that's open to the best obtainable version of the truth. They're going online, going to Rush Limbaugh, going to MSNBC, looking to reinforce the ideologies and political beliefs and religious beliefs that they already hold. They want ammunition. They don't want the best obtainable version of the truth. So I think that, that we need to look at ourselves as a culture. There's a little too much tendency to say, oh, the press, the media, they're all over the place, the 24-hour news cycle. Yeah, we have all of that, but we also got hungry consumers for a lot of crap, and we also have uh, people who just want to hear what will feed their own angers and their own uh, ideologies, and that, to me, is the huge difference, cultural difference. This program is produced by CuriosityStream. If you want to take a deep dive into stories about history, science, technology, and much more, check out CuriosityStream.com, the world's first ad-free, video-on-demand resource for documentary programs that educate, inspire, and entertain. Visit CuriosityStream.com. That's CuriosityStream.com. We now return to our interview with investigative journalist Carl Bernstein about the 1972 Watergate scandal that led to the impeachment of President Richard Nixon. Other questions? That uh, summer night that the film opened up on, when Richard Nixon was in the White House, prepared to give his speech and resign, where, where were you and Bob? And Were you celebrating? Were you feeling the impact and history of the moment what what were you doing what were you thinking we we were in the office on fifth floor newsroom and there were not that many people in the newsroom that night Catherine graham the publisher of the washington post and i have to 
say that, that what you don't have a sense of yet, uh, and you would see perhaps later in, in the Discovery film, is, is what Catherine Graham represented, the publisher of the Post, and how she was committed to the best obtainable version of the truth, and put the future of her newspaper on the line uh, while 28 and 29-year-old uh, metropolitan reporters were, were up against the leader of the free world. Uh, not quite that simple, but it boiled down to something like that. And um, so she was in the newsroom that night, Ben Bradley, the editors were there, and, and Catherine uh, said, and, and I think there's some photographers were, were around, uh, and she, she said, no gloating. And it was not necessary because my feeling was of absolute awe and relief. Awe that all of us had something to do with this. And relief that it was over for the country, uh, as well as the institution, as well as for us. And that it, it had ended right. That the system had worked. It really had. The press had done its job. The Senate of the United States had done its job. The judiciary in Judge Sirica's courtroom had done its job. The Republicans had done its, uh, their job. The day before, or three days before, Barry Goldwater, the 1964 nominee of the Republican Party for president, the great conservative, marched with Republican leaders down to the White House because there was going to be a trial of Richard Nixon in the Senate. Uh, because he was going to be impeached by the House, uh, and Nixon thought that he would be okay, that he could get uh, the th- uh, one-third of the votes necessary uh, in, the Senate, in a Senate trial to be acquitted, because you need two-thirds vote to be convicted in an impeachment trial. And uh, Goldwater took these colleagues down there to the White House, and Nixon sat across from him and said, Barry... Uh, how many votes do I have in the Senate? Fully expecting Goldwater to tell him he was going to prevail. Goldwater said, I don't know, Mr. President, maybe four and you don't have mine. That's a great moment. A really great moment. And that's when Nixon decided to resign. So uh, there was this sense the system had worked. Everybody had done what you would expect under the Constitution of the United States. Time for one more question. Did you all ever have, you know, reservations about what you were doing? Did you ever think, oh, we shouldn't do this? Or were you just so courageous that, and believed so much in journalism that you would not stop? Uh, we were afraid more than anything of making a mistake. Much more. And it, it, it didn't take quite the courage. That I, I, I thank you for that. Uh, we were on to a great story, too. You know, reporters love great stories. And it was exhilarating. I don't, I don't want to kid anybody about that. But, it, yes, it was also, uh, there was awesome responsibility involved. But more than anything, yeah, we, every once in a while uh, we had some physical fear. Uh, like when John Mitchell, uh, I'm going to tell a story. Yeah. Should I tell a story? Uh, well, we wrote that story that John Mitchell had controlled the vending machine story, had controlled the secret fund that paid for Watergate. And uh, as had always happened, uh, 
uh, one of us would call the White House, in this case me, to get a comment. And in this case, the spokesman for the White House said, uh, I read him the story, told him John Mitchell had controlled the secret fund that paid for this bugging and other undercover activities against the political opposition, the Democrats. And uh, he said, I'll get back to you on that, Carl. And he called back and said, here's our response. The sources of the Washington Post are a fountain of misinformation. So I typed that out. And uh, I said, yes, uh, aside from this geyser that's gone off in our backyard, is, uh, is the story true? Uh, did Mitchell control those funds? The sources of the Washington Post are a fountain of misinformation, he repeated. Very frustrating, because even though most of our colleagues in the press at the time in Washington didn't believe what we were writing. They didn't believe the Nixon White House could have anything to do with this kind of thing. Well, I had a phone number for John Mitchell. Uh, in New York, uh, and I called him there, and he answered the phone very politely, identifying myself, and I told him that we had a story in the next day's paper I'd like to read to him and uh, get his response. He said, fine. So I got as far as John N. Mitchell, while Attorney General of the United States, controlled a secret fund. And Mr. Mitchell said, Jesus. I read on few more words, by which time it said Mr. Mitchell had controlled a secret fund that paid for the bugging at Watergate, and Mr. Mitchell said, Jesus. <laughs> and then I got to the end of the first paragraph, by which time the drift of the story was unmistakable, and Mr. Mitchell said, Jesus Christ, all that crap, if you put that in the paper, Katie Graham, referring to the publisher of the Post, Catherine Graham, is going to get her tit caught in a big fat ringer. I kind of instinctively jumped back from the phone, being a little bit more worried about my parts than Mrs. Graham's at the moment. And uh, and there was a pause on the phone, and, and Mitchell said, "The most chilling moment ever for me as a journalist, because he meant it." And Mr. Mitchell said, "And when this campaign is over, we're going to do a little story on you two boys." And he hung up the phone. And uh, I called Ben Bradley at home, the editor and uh, told him what Mitchell had said, uh, everything. He said, do you have good notes on it? He really said that? And uh, I said, yeah, it's, it's all here. My notes are typed. And Brown said, okay, put it all in a paper, but leave out her tit. <laughs> <laughs> and the next morning, Catherine Graham came down to my desk and said, Carl, do you have any more messages for me? <laughs> And I tell one more Catherine Graham story to illustrate my point about about why we were able to do this, what we whatever it is that we were able to do. Around this time, Mitchell and uh, the committee for the reelection of the president uh, filed a lawsuit against the Democratic National Committee for one purpose only: to be able to subpoena people, particularly us, and to get our notes because they wanted to know our sources. And you can hear it on the tapes, as a matter of fact, them talking about this and how to get our notes and our sources. And I got a call from the guard at the security desk at the Washington Post saying, there's a guy down here with a subpoena for your notes and uh, from the Committee for the Re-Election of the President. And I said, well, just keep him down there and don't let him up in the newsroom. And I called Ben Bradley. And I, I said, Ben, the, the guard says there's somebody down there with a subpoena for us and for our notes. And Bradley said, well, wait a sec. You know, I'll get right back to you. And he called Catherine Graham upstairs. 
And he called me back and he says, okay, you get out of the office. And Catherine says, those notes are hers. And if anybody's going to go to jail, if anybody for not giving up their notes, it's going to be her. That's what she said. Imagine that. I mean, I get choked up talking about it today. But that's who we worked for. And that's what, you know, she knew. And right around this time, John Mitchell and others went to the Federal Communications Commission, which they controlled to a large extent, and tried to get the FCC to take away the television licenses of the Washington Post Company, which had just gone public. And the the whole financial uh, keystone of the paper was the television stations. But she believed in what the best obtainable version of the truth was and what, what the job of the press was. Thank you. Thank you, Carl Bernstein. This concludes our interview with investigative journalist and author Carl Bernstein about his reporting of the 1972 Watergate scandal. If you'd like to learn more about the impact of historic events like Watergate, head over to CuriosityStream.com, an on-demand video platform with top documentaries and fascinating interviews about science, technology, civilization, and more. You can also join us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube to hear about our latest releases and upcoming events. Watch what you want, where you want, commercial-free. That's curiositystream.com.